Uh, so hi everyone, my name is, is that too loud or loud enough? Good, great. Uh, so my name's Matt, uh, Matt Window. I work at uh, Facebook. I'm uh, originally actually from Canada, um, but first moved, yeah, all right. Uh, but, but, uh, but moved to New York, uh, first time I moved to New York was late 2000, where I came because I wanted to start working at a company, a uh, startup that made uh, artificial intelligence software for the fashion industry. So it was like the coolest industry in the world and the nerdiest industry in the world. And we were definitely on the nerdy end. Um, but uh, so I, I, I wanted to get that job. Uh, they, for some reason, didn't feel that a mid-level GPA uh, economics student was their smartest first hire. Um, so it took them about uh, six months for me to cajole them into uh, hiring me, and they finally hired me. Uh, three and a half years later, uh, went to uh, graduate school at Stanford, uh, decided to do a little uh, uh, of the real world over the summer, so I, I became a strategy consultant uh, and then private equity person in Shanghai and uh, realized that wasn't really for me and technology was my passion, so I was really excited about it. So my last year. Uh, started up a bunch of companies uh, and ended up deciding that I really wanted to work uh, at a company that was growing uh, pretty well at the time in 2007 called Facebook um, and uh, applied for a job. They decided that uh, they didn't really need a mid-level MBA student. Uh, so after six months of cajoling them, finally they uh, uh, gave me a job and uh, ended up working for four years. Uh, I became a director of business development where I led a lot of our uh, strategic product initiatives. Uh, then I switched about almost two years ago into product, uh, where I started off leading product for our games group uh, in platform. And now I lead product for our Identity New York team, uh, which is a team that works on profile, timeline, um, all these things. And our particular focus is a growth, uh, growth team for uh, profile completeness and identity to make it easy for people to fill out their profiles, understand their privacy settings, et cetera. So uh, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for uh, asking me to come. Excellent. Thank you, Matthew. Paul, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, guys. I'm going to be really loud because my accent with background noise is, I know it's going to be difficult. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from Australia, and there's no Aussies in the crowd. You've got to achieve for Canada, none for Australia. <laughs> you guys should visit there. It's only 24 hours away. It's a beautiful country. Um, <laughs> I started my career about seven years ago in Oz, uh, initially in motorsport. So if you've ever seen Anchorman, there's a scene where uh, Will Farrell speaks unintelligibly on TV and someone puts a sponsor's hat on him. I was the guy who put the sponsor hat on Will Farrell uh, in that case. In my spare time, I started blogging um, just to work out what this was. Social media in Australia at that point hadn't really emerged. Wound up having more fun in my spare time being a nerd and blogging and met all these people in the States uh, than I was having running around Australia with, with racing car drivers. Um, so did the Aussie thing and quit my job, sold my car, bought a one-way flight over to New York, uh, traveled the world for about six months and eventually landed a job here with an agency. Uh, did that for several years and was really enjoying it, doing big brand social media strategy, uh, helped the New York Times with some of their early staff, worked with Cisco and your Rubbermaid. Um, but about five years ago, saw a tweet that literally completely changed my life and I didn't know at the time it was important. And uh, it was 2008, I remember being in Midtown, like slightly bored at work, and it was from a woman named Beth Cantor, who's very prominent in the nonprofit space. And she said, you know, do you have a September birthday? Give it up for clean drinking water. And I have a tweet that I've seen of me replying, saying, oh yeah, great idea, my birthday's in September, I'll give it up and do some fundraising. 
And that was when I'd first heard of Charity Water uh, and had first ever heard of the world's water crisis. I didn't know there was nearly a billion people living without clean drinking water. And had this incredible experience giving up a birthday, asking people for donations instead of gifts. I think I was 23 at the time. Uh, people in Australia were giving, people I knew online were giving. Um, Pete Cashmore from Mashable, actually, is the same birthday as me, but he's younger. He's like, you know that guy that's younger than you, but so much more cooler and more successful? That's, that's Pete Cashmore for me. Um, and so he wrote a post about the well that Twitter built, because three people that day, myself, him, and another person, funded a well in Ethiopia on Twitter. In 2008, this was crazy. Um, so Charity Water became my favorite charity, and about two years later in 2010, uh, I found out they were hiring a director of digital. And I think the day the job posted online, three friends emailed me and were like, you have to do this, you love these guys. Uh, so I joined them then, and last Friday was my three-year anniversary, so uh, it's been great. Fantastic. And now you are director of digital, correct? Yeah, director of digital. So I joined to, um, that's probably important what I do there. <laughs> um, I, I joined as one of the first members of the executive team. So when I joined, we basically had an incredibly dynamic founder. I founder Scott Harrison. Uh, his wife is our creative director. She was employee number three, and she's completely brilliant. And it was kind of those two and some really talented like young people and interns, but no one with business experience. So we formed an executive team at that point, hired our CFO and myself within the first month, and both of us are still there. Uh, and since we've scaled the business pretty drastically. So we raised that first year, we raised about, I think about 12 million, then 18 million, last year 22 million, and now we're looking at how we can raise $100 million for clean drinking water in 2015. And my role's been very varied as we've grown, as you know, how it goes. Um, but a lot of business development, a lot of digital strategy, running our online fundraising platform, and just kind of bouncing around and trying to make myself useful. And I, I think that's maybe the core consistency I see, at least in both of your stories, and in a lot of the kind of early employee stories that one will hear, where you're not actually hired for one role, or in one department, or with one actual title. You're actually doing whatever needs to be done at any given moment. And I'm curious as to what that experience of having to, for lack of a better word, multitask, or take on a lot of different hats, what that's like if it's something you're not necessarily ready to do or you're not prepared to do. You know, is, is, that, is that a frightening experience? Is that an exciting experience? What is that like? Um, well, so I actually think it, I'd categorize, I'd, uh, uh, characterize it a little differently. So when I joined Facebook, it was, it was already 200 people. It was a medium-sized or large startup, depending how you, you define it. So there was enough uh, structure in place that where I am the kind of person who likes to do a lot of different things and you know, likes to do my mocks or uh, code up, you know, first prototype of something. Um, you know, basically for my first four years, I really was in business development, doing deals, this and that. Um, I think the kind of people who often will try to hire, though, and most great startups will try to hire, are generalists who can wear many hats because even within a role, you're gonna, so much is gonna change. In, the, in business development, the first things we were doing was signing up dozens and dozens of developers for Facebook platform, which was emerging at the time. But then further down the process, we got into doing very strategic, long-term, six to nine month deals. Um, similarly in product, you can go from, you know, from doing uh, a growth team to ads, to games, to you know, an internal system. So definitely wanna hire for, the, for that skill set. But I think the, the main characteristic is in these startups um, and these uh, companies with huge momentum is that because the gr there's so much growth, you're going to get these opportunities popping up. 
So if you're a consultant at a strategy consulting firm, there just aren't 20 different kind of jobs being created every year. But at these companies, there are. And so you get, I think a lot of people in other uh, more established places who would like to do different things don't get the opportunity because there isn't the massive growth and change. Actually, Paul? Yeah, I, re I remember absolutely loving it early on, loving coming from a consulting background and spending years coming up with ideas and then seeing an idea and being like, well, that's perfect, let's, let's go and do it. And then having it slowly killed by PowerPoint presentations and focus groups over nine months. And when I started with Charity Water, and we could have an idea and just go, all right, let's do it, and execute it really quickly, and then see the end result and know that we did this with a very small team, it was so gratifying professionally. And I think we were much smaller and, and still are. You know, we're only 50 staff now. Um, at the time, very small organization. And so basically, you're almost drowning in opportunity. And one of the skill sets is making really good bets and then getting stuff done. So you can make good bets, but if you're not good at getting stuff done, you'll fail. Um, and if you can get stuff done, but you're not good at making a lot of bets, you'll fail. So I, we, we had um, some executive coaches once, and one of the things they taught me that's always stuck was that if you have someone who spends a huge amount of time and makes three decisions a day, and they're always right, but only makes three decisions, and you have someone else who makes 10 decisions and seven or eight are right, over time, the person who's getting seven or eight things right and two wrong a day is going to be leagues ahead of the more slow deliberate process. Um, so that was really it. It's kind of throw yourselves into things with passion, do more of what works, and uh, try and be as useful as possible for the organization. Sometimes that was a pain in the butt. You know, for, for three months, I was our CTO, and I simultaneously had my favorite job, the best job I'd ever had that I was really good at, doing the marketing and biz dev, and this horrible job I was horrible at and was a complete failure at, and I'd, I'd walk into and out of meetings going from like, oh, this is great, to wanting to kill myself. But if you're passionate, you're thinking a lot about the organization results and just creating a ton of activity, I think that's what any startup needs. Yeah. I, I almost feel like there's this migratory journey that I guess each of you is taking within a company somehow. And I'm curious, you know, as you were talking about, Matthew, I mean, within Facebook, you already at least had divisions set up or new divisions were being set up. What made you decide to change course from biz dev and go into games and that kind of thing, or go from games into you know the New York offices and kind of leave San Francisco behind, that kind of thing? Well, I actually originally applied to be a product manager, uh, and that was the first time they uh, rejected my application. So then I, I tried again to, be, to uh, uh, work in business development, uh, which I didn't even really know what it meant at the time, but I had an MBA, so I thought it sounded like I would do well. Um, and they ended up hiring me for that. Uh, so when I, when I switched back, but basically one, one of my philosophies was when I was looking for a job is I wasn't going to prioritize role. I was going to prioritize company. And I knew once I got, if you get into the right company switching roles, if you're good, it's relatively straightforward. But to get the right role at a different company and get then switch over, much, much harder. So I basically, I said, listen, I'll reupholster the furniture. I will do anything here. Just let me join. And I was pretty upfront with that. And they liked that, actually. It showed I was really passionate about the company and passionate about the vision, which is something that I, I often see applicants not uh, do enough, but I always encourage my friends to do, is to you know, not try to play too cool for school, but show your passion for a company. So I came in knowing that it wasn't the job I wanted to do long term, but uh, that getting into the company would help me switch. So I did BD for four years. And then actually the uh, vice president of uh, product management came to me and asked me if I would help run this group that, that had, uh, hadn't had a, 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 um, uh, a new, t was getting a new team built for it. 
And I, and I was like, oh, actually, I originally applied to be a product manager, and uh, it was sort of funny. But yeah, that's how it happened. Fantastic. And Paul, your own experience? Yeah, it's one of the things that, that stuck with me. Uh, I think we were talking about it a little bit, bit earlier about the, the decisions you make and when you, you're about to make a big bet and decide what you're going to do. And I remember with Charity Water, even though I loved the place early, it felt like a huge gamble. You know, it was a very small startup. It was a non-profit startup. I'd never worked in the non-profit industry and never envisioned myself working in the non-profit industry. It turns out we're nothing like a non-profit. We're like every startup here. But I wasn't sure from the outside. Um, I had this very long interview process and was basically, you know, making this really big, different career choice. You know, stay in agency world, was comfortable, doing well, had some equity in the company, uh, or go to the non-profit route, totally different industry. Um, certainly, dollars on the paycheck always going to be less because non-profits, we, we don't compete on dollars with people. But I could see this huge opportunity. And I remember um, this one flight, I was flying somewhere and just the whole flight was thinking about this decision. And how I made the decision was, I was playing out in my mind, I'm an optimist by, by personality. All right, on both tracks, if everything goes right, if everything goes right at Conversi in my old agency and you know, we sell, we do really well and make all this money and what does the success look like there and how would I feel? If everything went right at Charity Water, and Charity Water scaled and was bringing millions of people clean drinking water and reinventing charity online, doing this really exciting web stuff and changing the world, which one would I feel like I'd missed out on if I'd missed it? If both were happening at the same time. And that's what pushed me to Charity Water. And it was the right decision. I, I knew if I was not there and I saw us do what we're doing right now, I would always kick myself and I would regret not making that chance to make a huge impact on the world. And that's always really stuck with me. Yeah. I'm curious, um, there was this concept that was popular in the 60s and 70s called the Peter Principle. And it said that people who are bad at their jobs actually get promoted because they don't succeed so they end up doing adequately and so they get advanced and advanced. And that the people who are very effective at their job always stay at their job because essentially why, why put them in a different position? And I almost feel like what you guys are talking about is somehow the inverse of that. Like you got into a company and then we're allowed to define what your job actually was. And now I'm curious, do you think that now that you've somehow found a position of comfort, or a, not, maybe not comfort, but of where you're very happy with what you're doing, you know, how do you think about what you want next? And how do you think about moving ahead? Or rather, just staying where you are? Yeah, um, one thing that I think of Jumping off from that, uh, I remember seeing a tweet from Shervin Pishavar a while ago, and it was a quote that really struck me as being very applicable about my CEO um, and our organization, uh, and it's that successful people very quickly forget success. And it's striking with, with our founder at Charity Water, Scott, you know, we'll do something huge, and the next day it's like, all right, well, instantly, what's next? And, and I, I really like that attitude about continually thinking forward and trying to push yourself. For me, ultimately, Getting results is the most exciting thing. Uh, I don't think about title, I don't think about salary, I don't think about a lot of things, but effectively continually getting results, knowing I'm making an impact for my company and feel like I'm leading that impact, that's, that's what keeps me going. Uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good articulation and I think a good question. Uh, the reason I uh, didn't go first was because I was trying to think of a good answer. Uh, honestly, I've been too busy recently. I, I haven't really given a lot of thought to where I want to be in uh, six months or a year. It's actually, I think I've got to take a vacation and get some thinking of that. All right. 
I'll, we'll, we'll come back to it in six months then. Um, I'm curious, is, is, do you think there's a danger in effectively self-identifying more with a company than with a skill set or a position? I mean, is there a sense that if somehow either one of these companies folded tomorrow, that effectively your sense of success, your sense of well-being in a kind of in the job market would somehow collapse with it? Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I believe pretty strongly, and, and I advise my friends in this, that when you're looking, there, it basically depends where you are in your career, but talking about the technology and startup industry, uh, you, there's sort of a strategy for if you're at the beginning of your career, and a strategy if you're a little further on. And if you're at the beginning of your career, it's all about prioritization. Paul mentioned how important that is. It's very important in your career decisions, too. And in technology and in the industry, if you've got to prioritize something, you think about prioritizing team, people you're going to work with, prioritizing position, the position you're going to do, prioritizing specific skills you're going to learn, or prioritizing success of the company. I would argue, out of all those things, and it's great, by the way, if they all exist at the same time, very rarely do they. You've got to prioritize success. You want to prioritize getting that 10x experience. You want to prioritize getting in a company already has some success, but they have a momentum, an incredible momentum. And the, ra the reason is that technology and startup scene basically revolve around these things. This is where massive growth happens, this is where all the investment returns happen, it's where all the talent ends up going. And if you're gonna prioritize, if you're thinking about how to prioritize those different things, I prioritize company and the success of that company. I remember when I was looking for a job, I basically looked at every company in Silicon Valley, every company in technology, and there were two that I thought would absolutely redefine and change uh, and were at that sort of hockey stick growth curve and they hadn't finished their growth curve. That was YouTube and Facebook. And color. Sorry? And color. The <laughs> and which one? Co color. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you're dating me a bit because that was about four years <laughs> after yeah, I was I looking know. for a job. Um, but uh, but the, you know, YouTube got acquired three weeks later, which is frankly yeah. why I doubled mm -hmm. down on Facebook. Um, also, YouTube, a phenomenal company, a phenomenal success. But what I've seen, and I've definitely seen for myself, other people who graduated grad school at the same time, is that being part of a success, you get, frankly, far more credit than you deserve. Being part of a company or organization that is not successful, you get far less credit than you deserve. And I have a lot of friends who are amazing at their roles, amazing in their skill set, but it's hard to show your skills and, and show that and get that credit if you don't have the wind at your back. It's like trying to be an expert uh, surfer, but if the surf's not up, no one, it's very hard for people to notice. And that's just a reality of technology and startups. Um, also with people, sometimes if you join an organization which has amazing people, the kind of people you want to spend you know, the rest of your career with, well, if the company doesn't have success or momentum, those people will leave. They won't be there. And if you're, uh, uh, on the other hand, if you join an organization or a startup that does get very successful, the best people will join. Um, and that's just a reality of how our industry works. And that's why I always advise my friends at the beginning of their career, because it's different than later on in your career, but at the beginning of one's career in technology, regardless of how old you are, prioritize success, prioritize the company, find the company that you think is going to 10x on the key, whether it's revenue, whether it's users, whether it's impact, and it, they've already got some degree of success, is frankly simply your best risk reward. And I've, I believe pretty passionately about that. And then 
you, you will get more credit, frankly, for being part of that company than you will be for having developed an amazing skill set at a company that isn't successful. It's not fair, necessarily, but it is true. Yeah. I'd love to build on a couple of those points that really triggered with me. Um, one, there was a great blog post I read a while ago, and I can't remember who wrote it, but I know Hunter Walk, who used to be with YouTube, tweeted a link to it. And it was about, um, there's a time to learn and a time to earn in your career. And it was, it was exactly your thoughts on how to think about the two. And I'm typically biased towards learning, especially early on. Um, the other thing that's interesting is about really great talent coming to the team. That's fascinating. So if I look at my three years with Charity Water, the first couple of years was just like, you know, I was kind of the guy, we're like we're working it out. There's not many of us. There's five of us who are going to get in a room and really work really hard with a really good team around us and get everything done. And that was a great experience and great learning experience. But in the past couple of years, as we started to scale really rapidly, um, I got a new boss, uh, Yukari Matsuzawa, who came out of Twitter. And it's always a bit disconcerting getting a new boss, right? You know, they might, they might hate you and fire you in a month. And it's been incredible having Yukari on, in large part because she's so much better at everything than I am. So I'm learning at an even more rapid pace because I have access to her. We, we had another early Twitter employee, Rael, join this week. And just having a few meetings with him, I'm like, we're so lucky to have him. And as we, our business grows, I kind of walk into rooms and realize, look at all this talent and firepower we have now and how we're going. So if you make the right bet, you start to get these great opportunities as well uh, of even more talent coming to the team, which just elevates everything you do. And also, if I could just add for, for context that uh, Paul and Charity Water, you know, Charity Water is in a lot of ways is very entrepreneurial and is also the breakout success in the nonprofit space. They're sort of like, you know, if you hit 100 million, you'll be like top five in nonprofit charities in 2015. I mean, that kind of growth is phenomenal in the space and it's sort of equivalent to like a Google or a Facebook or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's amazing, and especially because you attract so much talent from the, the sort of prof for profit community. Uh, yeah, I can just imagine that's been a phenomenal experience. I mean, of course, the experience that you're describing is only available to a very select group of people, ultimately. I mean, it's a combination of prescience and luck, effectively, right? Yeah. Um, if you are an early employee at a company and you feel like, you know, the hockey stick growth isn't happening, the 10x returns are not happening, at what point do you say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut rope, I'm going to jump ship? So... You know, when, when uh, I, I do some, a little bit of investing myself, and I, I studied venture capital and, and entrepreneurship, seed investors, the best seed investors, every company they invest in, they see the potential of that working. You know, Ron Conway, Dave McClure, all these guys. If you look at the returns, like one in 10, one in 20, maybe one in 10 raise a Series A, two in 10 raise a Series A. Uh, Series A investors, the smartest guys in the world, right? Sequoia, you know, Benchmark, these guys. These guys are getting like one or two out of ten right. When you're a person with your career, you don't get to hedge with ten companies. You get to pick one. So when I have friends who are at companies that they, you know, people have, you know, when I have friends who are in companies and they don't, they aren't getting traction. And by the way, you have to give it a little time, right? Not every company is going to work. But I often, I'll advise them to, you know, think about their careers and think that they can't hedge those bets. Now, the reality is people have a lot of loyalty, a lot of passion, which is why, and you don't want to be that kind of mercenary style where if things aren't working out for two weeks, you take off, which is why often I advise people that when they are looking to pick a company, don't try not to pick a company that's got, you know, knowing by the numbers has got a 1 in 10, 1 in 20 chance of success. Find a company that's already got success, that's already got traction and momentum early in your career. So even if things don't do that well, and we know some tech companies you know, recently have had growth curves 
uh, you know, uh, not do as well. But those companies have still are still successes, right? They, they've still rewritten history, and they were part of a growth that did that. Um, so you know, uh, everyone has to make their own decisions. And but if, if you're looking for a job and looking for a new place, I would really prioritize doing your research. I have a couple of ways that I would do it, but doing your research, looking into things and try to find that company that has momentum, they've got product market fit, they've got traction, because you will get a much richer experience and you will have less of a risk of being in that very difficult situation of having to think, do I jump ship or not? I think, I, I think as well, um, early on being a good cultural fit and having the right relationships with key employees is really important. If you, if you go in really early, and you're not a good cultural fit with the founder or like the top few employees, you're gonna get kicked out pretty quickly. Um, similarly, I, the way I've always thought about it with Charity Water is that the nature of a really fast growing startup is that the culture changes really rapidly. Business changes, culture changes, there's more people, there's different ways of doing things, there's process. And I've always kind of taken this view that at some point I might move away from the business, who I am and what kind of cultural fit I am, and at some point the business's culture might move away from me and that'll be the right time to, to go and do something else. Um, one thing I've been thinking about, uh, just on your point earlier, Matt, about uh, thinking about the brand, because I, I look out here at the vendors and there's amazing brands here, you know, there's brands I love like Bonobos, I'm wearing their pants, Spotify, like really cool places, I'm sure they'd be great to work at. And I can only imagine that they get a lot of talent. You know, they're looking for a lot of talent, but they will get a lot of applicants. And so I, I, I'm, I was trying to think through, I wonder what they want from this room and, and what they're looking for. And one of the things that hits me a lot at Charity Water is when we have an open job, we get inundated with resumes. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm about to open a role for a corporate partnerships lead and I'll probably, the second it goes up on the website, get 250 applicants and there probably won't be a qualified one. And they'll love the brand, so they'll be selling really hard on how much they love Charity Water, and, but I really need to focus like biz dev killer. And so I've always had this thing where, as long as they're passionate and like know who we are, I find that's pretty common, people that I get in. But I really try to qualify for, are they passionate about the role? Um, which is a little different to your experience. And I'm, I'm curious if it's because we're smaller or, or how that applies. Uh, well, I, I was giving the, the perspective of an applicant, not of a, a person hiring. If you're a person hiring, you tend to skew for the person, you know, for someone who has enormous skill set in what they do. Uh, and who's, yeah, because frankly, you're biased because you have to manage this person and you want them to do really well. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, I thought in addition, the articulation that you had is, you know, being part of the kind of org that you are. I can only imagine, like, when you put up a job rack, I mean, the top five candidates that you must get down to must just be unbelievable. Often it just takes a while, it takes a while to get there is the hard thing. I mean, we were hiring a role once. It was kind of a, a bit of an ambiguous job description. It had like a kayak instructor from Maine apply and a nose tackle from Oklahoma State University, which I kind of love the thought of having a massive footballer in the in the office, but it didn't work out. <laughs> so, is our traditional sense of how to get ahead in business fundamentally defunct? I mean, you know, with this idea of starting out in the mailroom and working your way up to the the corporate ladder to the CEO's office. I mean, does that kind of career trajectory even exist anymore? Yeah, well, not. A, I mean, technology is not really like that. Sure. Uh, generally, I don't think. I think, you know, in some ways, the, the closest industry to technology in terms of trends and how it is in employments really is Hollywood. You know, it's TVs, it's movies. Um, there, I mean, you get a part of a movie that's a big hit, that cements your career. Uh, there's a lot of luck that goes into it, though, frankly. Um, similarly, in technology, you know, there are you know, once, I keep bringing up the same point, but, you know, being part of these successes, the career revolves around the successes because they, frankly, finance, fund, 
and bring in all the talent there goes and joins these giant sort of supernova companies that you know distribute around talent, money uh, around the ecosystem. So, um, uh, you know that work your way up from the mailroom kind of thing. I think is uh, is very applicable if you're in finance, if you're in consulting, if you're in established big companies that frankly aren't changing that much and are around for a while or just have a different thing. Or I don't think you see that career that often. This doesn't mean you see people don't go and change roles and grow up within a company, spend five, six, seven years there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I would think it's a little different tech. Sure. Great. And so, I mean, ultimately, you know, we have a room full of people out here who are presumably looking for work or have work and want other better jobs. Um, are there any kind of words of advice you would give to them when they do find the job that they want at the company that they want? the best way to succeed in an environment that is constantly changing? Um, so yeah, so, so I would say, so, uh, you know, when, the, when you look at sort of uh, what I think are, you know, medium-sized to large companies with a ton of momentum, you're going to basically get two categories. You're going to get companies that are a little more, uh, that have some product market fit and are looking to scale drastically, and you're going to look for more mature companies that you think have the potential to 10x. So, in the first type, and there's a little bit of a different skill set for both. In the first type of company, which you know, I'd probably put a Bonobos, or I'd put a Quirky, AppNexus, um, uh, Uber. I wouldn't put 50 companies there, but I could probably come up with 12 that would be, I think, in this incredibly exciting uh, growth phase. Um, Spotify, another one. Uh, in those companies, you're going to come in, and it's going to be a lot more of an open field in terms of what to do. There, you know, you're going to come in doing one role. There's going to be like other major things that you can do. It's going to be fast moving. A lot of the people, I think, in those kind of mid-sized companies, you'll find some of the people who are great in the beginning, great when five and ten people are not scaling up. Doesn't mean they weren't amazing back then. But a lot of our early employees left when we hit a, you know, one, two hundred, three hundred people because it just wasn't for them. Um, in the uh, so in those kind of companies, you want to be a bit of a generalist, and you want to try to, uh, there's going to be enormous opportunity to contribute value in different areas. The second kind of company is sort of a large company that you think could basically be enormous. So I would put sort of Apple circa 2005 in there. Um, you know, if a lot of people would be like, oh, Apple, you know, isn't that startup-y, but yeah, I mean, basically 10x. Uh, and I have friends who went there at the time, and they were really smart about think being thoughtful about it. I I'd also personally put Facebook there now. That's why I'm part of Facebook. And in those companies, um, are often looking for experts who have pretty deep expertise in a single area. And um, in, in those companies, there's going to be a lot more structure. So you're going to be reporting into you know, someone who used to be a VP at Twitter. You're going to be reporting into uh, you know, someone who's had massive success at Google or something. A lot more opportunity for mentorship, a lot more opportunity to sort of be a little slower and a little less, less hectic. Right. Yeah, I want to share just the thought about the generalist role, because it's what I've seen more of. Uh, I'll make the base assumption that you're going to be really passionate. Because if you're really, truly passionate about the role and the company, you'll be investing energy that you don't even know you're investing. You know? You'll be thinking about things in the shower and devoting time on the weekends. And that's a great thing that's going to make you successful. One of the things that we learned um, a couple of years back, we got introduced to these uh, strengths finder tests from Gallup. It's kind of that theory of management. And we do it with all our staff now. And it's a great way personality test for how we work with each other. But basically... Their thesis is that as humans, we spend a lot of time trying to build up our weaknesses. You know, I don't know finance, I'm going to go find finance, or I'm not that technical, so I should learn how to code on the weekend. When, in actual fact, there's, there's strengths that all of us have 
that we may not even realize how strong they are because typically things that we're strong at are so easy for us. When you can start leaning into your strengths more, so much success comes out of that where if you're passionate and your strengths are aligned the right way, it is so easy to do great work. And that's the thing I've, I've learned over time, just looking back at what worked really well. Often it's, to me, what felt really easy. And there was all this stuff that worked horribly and it was like banging my head on the wall, like trying to do technical stuff and these other things. And huge learning, but so useful early on when you, when you have to be one of these total generalists. Great. Um, I'd like to thank both of you for what was a really fascinating conversation. Paul Young, Matt Window, let's give it up for both of them. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks you. very much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Fun.